You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to The Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is managing editor Olivia Crimmel. Hello. And reporter Xander Wilson. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Deputy Managing Editor Brittany Rigby will be talking to Time Out Managing Director Michael Rodriguez about pivoting to Time In. We're the best of the city out. Well, now we need to be the best of the city to your living room. How Time Out fared through COVID. Audience was relatively strong and consistent throughout, I suppose, but uh, revenues, yeah, took a hit as, as did the rest of the sector. And the News Media Bargaining Code. Google in particular, is an important part of um, the Time Out business because its mission is so aligned to what we try and do. But first, the week's topics. Competition for sports rights heats up as the streaming video on demand market comes to life and Microsoft offers to up its game in Australia in the midst of Google's quit threat. This week has been filled with news around sports SVOD services, that's streaming video on demand, as the action heats up for a variety of sports rights. KO announced a partnership with Telstra and acquisition of netball rights. Stan Sports shared more details surrounding its rugby coverage. And Amazon Prime revealed it would be covering sports locally as well. Xander, give us a quick whip around the market. Yeah, so, I mean, it really all kicked off last week when KO announced what its free tier was going to look like, KO Freebie, something that it had telegraphed would be entering the market for a little while. Uh, so, KO are going are to launch, launch freebies at the end of Feb uh, with the Mount Panorama 500 Supercars race and also uh, screen selected W-League and A-League games for free each week, uh, which is a pretty significant step given the free-to-air coverage of football, uh, soccer football, I mean, the real football, um, has been pretty limited in Australia for, for quite a long time and and even the players like SBS and ABC are no longer showing free-to-air games each week uh, for the A-League. They are just showing the one W-League game. Um, so it's it's a pretty pretty good move in a space that's been dominated by Optus Sport really ever since Fox lost the rights to the EPL a few years ago. Then this week, Telstra and KO held a joint event uh, announcing that Telstra customers will now get discounted memberships for, for KO Sports, as well as the fact that the NRL and AFL live apps, which Telstra Live Pass customers could previously watch games on, will now have KO's coverage of the games integrated into the platforms instead. Uh, not to be outdone, Stan released its uh, pricing model for its Stan Sport offering, um, which is being billed as the new home of rugby in Australia, um, and that'll cost $10 on top of a regular Stan subscription. Uh, any speculation that Nine, who does hold the rights to the 2021 Super Netball season, would be making netball a big part of the Stan Sport offering along with rugby were, were, were sort of put to bed yesterday when Netball Australia signed a, a five-year broadcast rights deal with Foxtel that kicks off in, in 2022. Um, so that's another string for KO Netball and, and they're going to show two Super Netball games each week for free on, on KO Freebies. And, and finally, and definitely not least, uh, we saw Amazon Prime Video dive into the market this morning, um, announcing a two-year streaming broadcast deal with Swimming Australia. I'm just going to take you back to the start of that where you said the real football, anyone who wants to reach Xander, it's Xander at mumbrella.com.au and he's <laughs> welcome to open uh, debate. But Xander, let's talk about uh, the SVOD services locally. KO was the first in that was building something solely around sport and it's got significant competition now. So as you see it, where are the real, real battlegrounds here in, in the market at the moment? 
I mean, I, I guess there's no getting past the facts that Foxtel and KO are, are really in a pole position here, um, even with the new players entering the market. I mean, what we're yet to see and hear much about is what the user experience will be like for people signing up to to Stan Sport and what, what it'll be like when people are watching the swimming on, on Amazon. But KO's pretty much nailed a really fantastic user experience they've developed over the last couple of years. It's it's watchable on every every device you've got. You've got options like dual screen, up to four screens at a time. Um, and, and apart from the user experience being generally pretty good, um, it, they've got a pretty enormous content slate as well. Um, and, and the addition of KO freebies is, is really a great taster for people who probably aren't sure if they want to pay the full $25 a month, which is really sort of in the upper upper echelons of of what these offerings cost. Um, and this week's announcement that Telstra LifePass customers will only need to pay an additional $5 to access KO's entire offering is, is pretty big too. Um, where Prime Video and Stan will hopefully be able to differentiate is, is their entertainment offerings as well. Um, it'll be difficult to say whether the strategy is going to work up against KO and, until probably first up we see Stan Sport add a bit more premium content and there's, there's a bit more of a level playing ground between the sports that, that these are these offerings can can give. But but make no mistake, KO is ahead of the game. Um, and and as I mentioned earlier, it's 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 never worth discounting Optus Sport. Um, they, they may focus pretty heavily on football but they're really good at what they do and and optus sport is is free for most people with an with optus phone and mobile plans so um a lot to keep an eye on over the next month and and the next few years to see whether these new players can really really find a find a spot in the in the market Xander, you mentioned Optus, which is a pretty interesting topic. Let me also bring in the Amazon component of that. And I know, Liv, you covered the story about Amazon coming to market with uh, Prime and Sports. How seriously should we be taking Amazon Prime Sports or however you want to actually call that? We definitely have to take it seriously. If you look at the subscription numbers in the US, Amazon is a force to be reckoned with. This is their first of a a local sports agreement and they've chosen something that I think for most part uh, Australians are very close to and that's swimming because we excel at it internationally. So it will be interesting to see what other sports they then add to that agreement as time progresses. They do, however, have the advantage of a very um, affordable subscription and the sporting edition is at no extra cost unlike Stan. Yeah, and just on that as well, I mean, Stan, uh, sorry, Amazon Prime uh, has a pretty good base of sports interested people based on the back of all their Prime originals that they've done over the last couple of years. They've gone inside some of the biggest football clubs um, from the Brazil national team to Manchester City and that sort of thing. On, on the football side of it, um, they've released... Uh, uh, exclusive racing and 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 car documentaries going inside some of some of the biggest teams and and some of the biggest motorsports events. So I think they'll be hoping to capitalize on on that existing audience um, that they will be keen to watch watch live sport as, as well as the documentaries which have done so well for them. Yeah, and I think Tellsite had uh, hazarded a guess that the Australian subscriber numbers on Amazon Prime at the moment sat around the just sub 2 million mark, which is a, a a great start. Also the fact that Amazon Prime in the US has some pretty big sports rights, including NFL. Uh, so they're not new to this game. So it could be very interesting to watch and see what they do in the Australian market. And they're certainly not one 
who is shy of spending a dollar or two either, which will be interesting. Um, but in that regard as well, in terms of spend, we've often thought of SFOD sports platforms, particularly when it was just KO as being really platforms that would show off the, the tier two sports, if you will, those sports slightly left of the mainstream. Is this an indication now that we will be looking at these platforms as platforms that are going to deliver some of the top tier most watched sports in Australia? I mean, I think we're seeing it already. Um, KO in particular, uh, the the KO coverage of, of the cricket through Fox Sports was 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 hailed um, across the industry as as quite good compared to compared to Seven's offering, um, and you know seeing sports like the English Premier League, um, Optus putting together their own teams to analyze and and be part of the broadcast of, of these main sporting events, the NRL, the AFL Grand Final, all these things are are going to air already last year on on these types of services. Um, I think the interesting thing will be to see. With Stan coming to the market, rugby being its big draw card, it's a sport that's struggled in Australia the last few years, at least. Um, you know, with uh, falling participation rates, falling crowd numbers, falling TV viewing numbers. Um, you know, so much so that that Fox has has was previously renegotiating deals for lower prices, and eventually, you know, had they've lost the rights entirely to to Stan Sports. So that's one that I guess sits in between the the, the upper tier um, and and I guess the second tier, and and you know, it'll it'll come down a lot to to whether they can capitalize on Stan subscribers already, and also the production value of it. Um, Fox Sports has been criticised in the last couple of years for their production behind things like the A League. Um, you know, there've been sort of things that have lent themselves to Dr. Mumbo's style stuff ups within those broadcasts. So if, if Stan can come with a, a competitive offering that that's put together and broadcast really, really well, um, they could sort of push rugby into being one of those top tier sports. Coming up next, can Microsoft come to the rescue if Google withdrew from Australia? On Wednesday, US-based tech giant Microsoft announced that it would fill the void left in the Australian market were Google to proceed with its plan to withdraw as a result of the news media bargaining code proceeding in its current form. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and President Brad Smith recently spoke to Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Communications Minister Paul Fletcher, with Smith fronting a variety of Australian media confirming the company's intentions. Another week, another big tech headline Liv, let's start with Google very quickly, uh, which just shared APAC revenue figures. How much money are they making in the region? Yeah, Damien, there are, you might say it's unfortunate timing. Google reported a 32% year-on-year revenue increase for the APAC region, which obviously includes Australia. Uh, we don't have specific numbers for Australia at this time. Um, that took it to a 9.9 billion uh, USD uh, revenue for the quarter. In Australian dollars, that works out to be about 13 billion. It seems that despite the code and ongoing debate about the code, et cetera, businesses, including the government, are still throwing plenty of ad dollars at Google. I mean, come on, those are huge figures. So surely that's got to weaken Google's thread in the market that they're going to just 
exit the market completely. That is a lot of money to be leaving on the table. Yes, well, interestingly, for any of those who are listening to the Senate hearing on Monday, uh, during the hearing, one of the senators asked Treasury about its own spend with Google and and how it divides its uh, advertising spend between traditional print media and traditional uh, media in Australia versus the uh, likes of Google, etc. So that was quite amusing. Um, on top of that, then if we do have to follow what Google says in terms of them holding true to their statement that they will withdraw from Australia as they did from China many years ago, uh, that, that will leave some sort of hole. How big a hole? Who knows? In, in terms of financial revenue for them, that's still to be seen. Well, what we know will leave is a rather large hole in the market in Australia. And we got a bigger indication of that quite recently with the Nielsen figures last week. Uh, You covered that one as well. So what did they suggest? Yes, the uh, IAB endorsed findings found that there were 21 million Australians active on the web and not surprisingly, nearly 20 million of them use Google. So that equates to about 95.25% of the market, which is huge, Um, which given Google's current battle with the government about the monopoly does not really bode well in their favour. Having said that, there is a fairly logical explanation as to why 95% of us are on there, and I will leave that to the audience to work out. So Microsoft, they've said they're going to jump in. They've said they're going to save that. I reckon that's an, an amazingly good PR win for them. And I'll, I'll say it up front, I'm using their Edge browser right now because Chrome doesn't work for me very well, but I'm on the... Google Drive, we use Hangouts, I have a Gmail address. I think the majority of Australia is in some way, shape or form connected to the myriad ways Google is getting into our houses and our daily lives. How legitimate is Microsoft's idea that they're just going to jump in and and fill the hole that Google's potentially going to leave, being that their market share is just so small at the moment? Mm, Yes, well, uh, I think it's a case of fear not fellow Australians. Uh, Should Google act on on their promise to leave the market should the uh, code come into force? Um, Our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has apparently done a deal with Microsoft to ensure that their Bing search engine fills the gap left by Google. Uh, I'm not sure about the audience, but I'm not totally convinced by that given the 95% it suddenly needs to pick up in terms of capacity, although they have made uh, some statements to the media about their commitment to Australia and also moving businesses across from uh, Google Ads onto their own ad platform. And that's a good point, actually, their commitment to Australia. What is Australia giving Microsoft at the moment that makes it uh, so good for them or that makes them interested in Australia, being that Google owns so much of this market? uh, What if Google doesn't leave? What is in it for them at the moment, just as it stands? Well, obviously, Microsoft have quite a few um, different brands in the market. They've got, obviously, their PCs and software. They also own, of course, LinkedIn, Hotmail, and everyone's favorite platform for COVID, Microsoft Teams, when it comes to keeping in touch with people That's not my favorite platform for COVID. (laughs) So, uh, according to reports last week, 
Microsoft, similar to Google, had a significant increase in revenue in the past quarter, no doubt because of all of those uh, people jumping on either games or Microsoft Teams for whatever reason uh, throughout the past 12 months thanks to COVID. Um, They reported a 17% increase in quarterly revenue up to $43.1 billion. The Australian outfit alone posted a 4.3%. $2 billion revenue for the year ended 30 June last year. That was a 41% increase on the previous year. So they certainly have plenty of cash um, to throw at the situation in Australia should that come to fruition. And I'm sure that small businesses across the country would be quite glad to, you know, get some additional ad spend at discounted prices and without administrative fees should that come to fruition. So quick side note, because this is interesting, hasn't really been talked about very much. There's another social platform that shares quite a bit of news, and I know Mumbrella, we get a bit of traffic from this. It's called LinkedIn. Microsoft owns it. Uh, Has there been any word on how LinkedIn fits into this whole puzzle? Yeah, this is something I've also been quite fascinated by as someone who uses the platform quite regularly. Um, To date, Microsoft has not been involved in the code at all and and currently is not, although they did say during their media statements yesterday that should the code come into force, they would, of course, be willing to participate and follow the rules that the code sets with regards to paying for news snippets, etc. So it would be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, The few conversations I've had about LinkedIn and why it's not part of the code at present is it comes down to volume and just that it doesn't have the audience volume in Australia that the likes of Facebook, for instance, has or that Google has. And, and as we've seen from the Nielsen figures, figures, that is substantial. Well, if Google do withdraw, that volume is going to be skyrocketing any time soon after that. So let's see, that will suddenly become a fairly major talking point, I'm sure. Coming up next, Brittany Rigby chats to timeouts Michael Rodriguez. The Mumbrella ComsCon Awards are back for 2021 to recognise the best people, teams, campaigns and businesses that are shaking up the ANZ PR and communications industry. From PR Leader of the Year to Best COVID-19 Response, there are 25 categories in total. Now is your time to take a moment to reflect on your accomplishments and tell us your success stories from the past 12 months. Go to comsconawards.com.au for more information. And now joining me on the Mumbrella cast is Managing Director of Time Out Australia, Michael Rodriguez. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brittany. Lovely to see you. You too, virtually at least. To start off with, what's the past year like been like for you? Oh, it's been eventful for everyone, hasn't it? And yeah. uh, for us at Time Out, it's a, it was a good year of self-reflection because our whole business is dedicated to people going out and having fun uh, in their cities, which uh, we'd had a bit of a taste with lockout in Sydney anyway with some restrictions but lockout uh, was nothing compared to lockdown for for we uh, had had an era of navel gazing I suppose trying to work out what we should do and uh, which and then of course there's been the COVID coaster for everyone really but happily it's um seems to be riding itself it's been 12 months I'm trying to think about this period as a, a 24 month year it's not a you, that's the best way to think about it because we're not through it yet and as you can see with every changing restriction or border closure or 
whatever happens, it has a knock-on effect to the going-out economy, which is really what what timeout's about. So I guess like we, uh, like advertising revenue-dependent business, like uh, most of us, I think, in the sector, and, and uh, you know, that, that was reflected in the numbers. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, we uh, so, so it took, it took that hit. Um, but manage the business through it and um and here we are um i think um audience like i mean most people sort of were up in audience weren't they um because as it turned out everyone had time on their hands and access to screens um so as i was happily explaining if you weren't seeing more people on your site then you're probably not doing <laughs> probably not doing your job so i you, you know audience was r- relatively strong and consistent throughout i suppose but uh revenues yeah um um you know took took a hit as as did the rest of the sector but yeah, navigated through. Thanks muchly, uh, very much to the support of uh, the government and um, and yeah, our wonderful team. Mm. That leads me on to my next question. So you touched on it there, but a global pandemic forcing everyone inside is quite the challenge for your business, particularly when you're right. You know, timeout focuses on a city's events and its vibrancy, and suddenly none of that's there anymore. You pivoted timeout to become time in. Talk me through that process. Where did the idea come from? How quickly was it rolled out? Yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, I guess uh, um, we're part of Time Out, the global business headquartered in the UK, and uh, it. I, I'm trying to think of that the trajectory of the pandemic, but I think it was actually slightly impacting the UK ahead of Australia, actually. Like, and so, um, and. As a network, we work, work quite well together. And one of the advantages is you can see what's going on in other markets. So having businesses in uh, in Asia in particular, where obviously Wuhan had an impact on Hong Kong and Singapore perhaps slightly earlier than, than Europe and, and uh, the Western Hemisphere. So I, uh, the team uh, globally, um, led by our CEO, I think um, had the foresight to uh, pivot the business to time in. And it, um, which, which isn't, uh, entirely new ground. Like Time Out as a brand um, over its 50-year history has had, you know, it's had such wonderful sections as caravanning and uh, um, maintaining rabbits, I believe. Uh, you know, as, as, as culture <laughs> evolves, so does, so does Time Out. And so uh, the early days Time Out in, in, in Australia, we had a time-in section, which was TV listings and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I think that the, the global business made recognise relatively quickly we needed to... Uh, serve our audiences through the period and that's really what drove the decision you know it's like you've got to be where your audience is and how your audience want to use you or experience you and so um and uh and so the pivot to time in um was just i guess out from our own brand perspective it's we're the best of the city out well now we need to be the best of the city to your living room so how can we how can we uh use time out as a publishing platform to maintain people's connection to the city notwithstanding you're at home and so and then you know just sort of follow from there really and all the things that you know we've seen across the market uh in terms of home delivery and streaming and all the advice um we were able to you know refashion refashion a business of some some that made sense i think that's the key part uh it i recall talking to people about I mean, everyone's read Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why now and, 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 you know, pivoting, it's kind of like people pivoting so far, um, end up where they started, you know, it's sort of, well, 
you just kind of have to, we just kind of kept doing what timeout does, which is serve its audience, um, delivering the best of the city and in this context into the living room. Mm. You mentioned the audience numbers have been up over this past year. How did the audience respond to that time in initiative specifically? What sort of feedback have you had about, you know, readers who are used to reading stuff about what's happening outside instead reading about stuff while they're inside? Yeah, uh, it's it's sort of downlights in statistics, isn't it? And then you end up with me search eventually, which uh, is when you just go, well, everyone I know does this. But I, I think that um, it uh, one thing I'll observe is that it's one of the advantages of having a, a brand. In, in terms of um, challenge, people, uh, you, you know, go to what they know or they trust. And so if you think about it, so Time Out Australia 2007, and I'm a good, uh, still living, thankfully, uh, example of ageing in that, um, I began the brand here when I was 30 and I'm now 45. So that's 15 years. And if you'd follow the, a, a time out as user journey with the business, you know, as you come in in your 20s, you're going out and then, you know, life uh, tends to take you in a certain direction. Uh, and inevitably, um, as kids and family come along, people tend to not be as use not use the brand as much as they would have in the high, heavy going out days. One of the insights was, of course, that when uh, we – all indoors we rediscovered older audiences who you trusted our brand and uh and very much um needed advice on how to you know, pivot their whole life you know to being at home and you sort of saw this like um from a going out experience you know the difference that it made to different demographics at the time so uh um the, our, loosely speaking we can put our audience into two baskets x and y just say right or gen y gen z um, these audience have sort of had different experiences of the pandemic. Um, so I think um, I did a podcast with Tim Burrows actually and, um, and, uh, uh, and the publisher of Pedestrian on, on this subject matter and we were talking about how, the, uh, you know, for, for a younger person uh, who may not have established employment, is flat sharing, a very different thing to, um, you know, um, Michael Rodriguez, who at age forty-five is a family man with two kids, you know, and then how do you navigate navigate your life in those circumstances? So, so for us, um, there was a lot of trial and error, and um, as everyone did, and you know, if it's working, keep doing it. If it's not, um, abandon it. One of the uh, things that I recall our editorial team explained to me, especially on the way out of it, as people restrictions started lifting, and as uh, you could go out or could you again, uh, most of our uh, traffic or sorry a significant amount of our um, editorial lens was around one question which was can I do this you know so it's the can I do this can I do that like how many people like it's been I mean a huge part of social planning these days is the abacus working and reworking of how many people you can fit into a you know etc you know the, the drama that comes with uh, changing government announcements based on the pandemic. So, you know, I, I guess um, our uh, experience has been top-line audience loosely the same um, number-wise um, and but probably the content that we were generating very different, you know. So gone are the uh, new restaurant openings, gone are the sort of long tail of um, – of review type content that timeout's well known for, uh, supplemented by the can I do this and also the, the I guess an element of news reporting, which is not necessarily what uh, we uh, do, have done to date. I mean, um, um, and in the context of if there is a pandemic on and you want to go out, then we suddenly become a 
um, a voice for specific type of news. So I don't know if that kind of gives you a sense of our, um, you know, our, our journey through the pandemic. Um, but uh, audience-wise, yeah, I think, um, and I'd like to think, you know, the me search component, especially as the publisher, is that you've served your audience well and, uh, you you know, um, and that's all you, you really can do. Um, we, we're a relatively, like, we're a medium-sized publisher. I don't know. It's, I don't consider us large at all in comparison to, you know, the uh, some of the others that are appearing before the Senate, et cetera. But it's uh, in that context, um, over a long period, we are hopefully just a trusted friend that when you're in need, call us and we'll, let you, we'll save you the research because we've be- eaten all the bad food so you don't have to. Yeah, that's so interesting as well about how your old audience is kind of refinding you and rediscovering you in a new context in a different stage of their life. How are you thinking about your editorial strategy as it relates to the pandemic now? Because, you know, things in Sydney, for example, are relatively back to normal, you know, as much as possible. Same goes for Melbourne, but we've also seen how quickly things can turn for in, you know for example in Perth so how are you thinking about an editorial strategy can you even implement anything that resembles an editorial strategy when really we're you know so dependent at the moment on how the rules are changing <laughs> on the on the boss and of course you can implement an uh, editorial strategy my 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 edit- editors um in you know uh, they they do a wonderful job and largely drive um you know our strategy around this and their their um uh, remit is uh, or is you, you tell me what what you think we should be doing i like i i think that this can i do bit is gonna keep recurring you know so travel restrictions as an example can i now travel to victoria what wa obviously you know these things are going to be uh um yeah ongoing um like the of course one of the big things for us is decentralization of audience of the workplace so Cities have tended to be uh, the primary um, readership um, because either people live close to or indeed are reading us during working hours trying to work out where to go after. So uh, as audiences are sort of being spread to the suburbs in Sydney and Melbourne particularly, uh, that's shaped our strategy and and, uh, there is the whole return to work and, of course, governments are trying to encourage everyone back into the CBD and and Time Out is running um, campaigns to, to also do that. But uh, there is a, a reality that there will be, at least for the next one to two years, a uh, and it's a good thing in some ways for a rejuvenation or a renaissance of the suburbs and uh, high streets and 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 these uh, audience opportunities for us have sort of resulted in uh, our Love Local campaign, which is really about discovering what's in your backyard and, and now is the time to do it because borders are closed and in terms of, I guess, the economic development or recovery of uh, each of our states, what you want is people moving within your borders or going and exploring or repeat visiting, you know, um, other, other areas of, of, of a city. You know, so uh, what Sydney's wonderful, and we love that people come here. But often their experience is sort of restricted to you know the eastern city or the harbour and the beaches. Whereas there's a wealth of other things there to discover if you'll give that a go. Um, I, so there's there's in terms of strategy, that's part of it. I, I, obviously, things where you're not rammed in. Um, so nature walks, beaches, all of those types of things. There's you, you know, it'd be interesting just seeing how the um, going out experience. Um, 
varies. Um, I, I think it will, you know, it's not the first pandemic, so give it five years and we'll all be back in the mosh pit. But in the in the shorter time, there is this. Let's go to a gig and QR code our way into it, and you know, it's a it's a different different thing. I was at Sunset Piazza the other day watching uh, Alex the astronaut, and you know, it's it's what a great privilege to be able to do that if you um, if you're talking to some of your friends in the northern hemisphere. But at the same time, the gig is not what you understood a gig to be. So going out habits are going to um, you know move around a bit, and I think one of the things that I think about then is if your brands are trying to reach that audience because it's the and you're the expert right so tell me if I'm wrong please um, but you've got uh, this idea that uh, consumer habits get shaped particularly in your you know 18 to 20s and I think that's fair was my experience uh, and we work with brands all the time around uh, getting consumers of that age familiar with their products so that they continue to enjoy that product or whatever it is or service as they as they um uh, grow, grow older uh so that's experiential marketing uh outdoor in the cbds all those things kind of come together what we have now is this situation where audiences aren't moving around in the same way and you know so therefore how how do you how do you reach those audiences um in the same way to help shape or craft you know your, your brand strategy and I'm raising the questions, not giving you the answers, by the way. Like, but that's that's where, uh, you, you know, as a publisher who's trying to deliver two things, one is to hang on to its audience, second is to match that audience to advertisers because that's where our revenue comes from. These are the kinds of concepts that we are thinking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they're important questions to be asking as well because, as you say, you know, lots of brands and workplaces at the moment are asking themselves, well, is everyone still going to live really close to the CBD if they don't need that five-day commute? How much, you know, how many people actually are going to move away to the Central Coast or the South Coast if we're in New South Wales or, you know, elsewhere in other states? Is a sea change going to be widespread? And that has huge ramifications for brands and for ads and for audiences and all of those things. I'm interested, you, you touched on before that you set up Time Out Locally in 2007. Mm. That's 14 years ago, which seems wild, but we are in 2021. What are the biggest changes you've kind of seen in the local publishing market across that period of time? And has Time Out's position in the market changed across that period of time? I am feeling my age now. Um, But it it does feel like yesterday and so much of of what I'm seeing around me reminds me of uh, that period because literally I signed 20 people into employment contracts and a lease on the day the subprime mortgage market collapsed in the US. And so our our birth into the Australian market was during the GFC. And, uh, and, and look, the GFC, and I'm not an economic expert, but I imagine it's was not as deep a gouge locally as, as the pandemic. Um, but it did cause people to reconsider. And at the time, uh, the boring listeners now, but we called ourselves print digital publisher because the discussion at that time was, you know, it, print's going to die and digital's going to be everything. And, um, you know, we were like, well, hang on a second, we don't necessarily agree with that um, because we think that audience, these things will vary over time, but they, you know, um, I'm still buying paper and, and and you know, print magazines exist or they're going to do this. So we had this um, 
awareness, if not knowing the answer, of that a media engagement is a moving thing. And I mentioned that because one of the things that we found at the time was that advertisers weren't using digital in 2007. They were, some were, but a lot of them were were wedded to mastheads with high frequency circulation. Um, Sorry, sorry, high high circulating mastheads, uh, audited, inverted commas. And and so what happened was everyone started questioning their ad spend in 2007, 2009, in much the same way people are going to do that now. What I think... um, in, in terms of some of the changes, it's it's a bit like some of it we've seen before, and um, but the players are different. So we arrived, and I guess we're sort of urban street press, and uh, but there was an existing street press which was free sheets, you know, sort of on um, um, tobacco dispensing machines in bars and stuff like that, you know, those, and that section sector got rationalised because it didn't necessarily do such a good job of migrating into the print world. And uh, so, you know, you've got those um, those changes and, I, like, uh, but the audience fundamentally in Australia hasn't really grown, really, like in, 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 in major terms, um, population-wise. Um, and so I think for us, we've always just sort of been a slow and steady, you know, let's just keep growing sustainably year on year on year if we can and, uh, and try and r- ride these economic uh, waves and changing media practice. There is no, I just don't think see there being any any shortcuts and any sort of short-term gains you might make you'll lose if you you know um um can, can come goes quite quickly um so uh, yeah I, like i think about in our space the number of publications that have opened and closed um and the number of magazines that have opened and closed and the amount of MA activity that's happened um around us and and um i'm just kind of grateful that um somehow we've managed to steer a course through it all and, uh, and you, you know, I found it under licence and sold the business back um, three years ago to Time Out Group and now run it here uh, on their behalf. Um, and, and that was partly recognising that continual investment in technology costs you. Uh, you. You may as well try and, like, find as robust a publishing model as you can. And you guys are in the business, right? It's, uh, it's a tough time for publishers generally, you, an events business, um, which Mumbrella, or like, you know, your business has, you know that that's a core revenue stream's been impacted. How do you manage in that context? So it's um yeah like it, it I think it could be I'm just getting old, but yep, seen some of this before. You know what you got to do. You got to got to hang on to your team. Um, you've got to preserve cash and uh, and write it out. And then what really matters is that you come back on the other side of it strong stronger than your competition, like because. If, and 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 with relationships intact, particularly with your core advertising base. And I suppose for us, we've I've, I've twenty this year's taught me anything. It's about um, making sure that the culture in the business is great, making sure your team feel um, as safe as possible by being transparent with uh, the realities of the world. And uh, I guess one thing um, I was grateful for is that we, we we didn't need to make any redundancies. We just absorbed it, and with JobKeeper, we, we traded through. My final question, so I can't talk to anyone who works at a publisher at the moment without touching on the news media bargaining code, which I think you did reference earlier on. There's lots and lots of stuff happening in the space, but small publishers, for instance, have raised concerns about issues of media diversity, possible exclusion from the code, depending on what you know the definition of news ends up being. I'm interested in what are your thoughts on the code and 
do you think Google and Facebook will follow through on their threats and would that impact timeouts business? One of the, like, so, you know, for us, it's, um, there's a few elements to it. One is that it's a, it, it, there's a, a news, like, uh, as I say, we, we do a little bit of news. We're not a, a hard news publisher. Um, so, uh, that's the first observation. Second is that, um, we are, uh, not in the, of the scale and stature of the oligopoly markets that, uh, market participants that are, you know, on either side of this. And I say that because um, the reality is that the Australian market has been defined and will continually be defined by oligopolies. So, you know, when we arrived, it was Fairfax, ACP and News. You know, that those they've had to make way a little bit and there's been rationalisations with mergers, but also Google and Facebook are now sitting at the table. So there's this tussle between Goliath and Goliath, if you ask. Like I think Eric Beach is sort of probably coming at it from a similar way. You kind of like, as long as we don't get too crushed in the meantime, then maybe we'll be okay because our ability to influence the outcome and have an impact on this particular debate, um, you know, from an advocacy perspective is, um, you know, I don't know how much of our time we, we put towards it, partly because people are raising the arguments well that we would raise. And secondly, because when it comes to pursuing our purpose, we know that our biggest contribution to the macro debate on this is probably best served after going after things like actual diversity in media. You know, like one of the things that um, this debate doesn't sort of, I don't think, um, go there is is just simply ethnic diversity in media. You know, like I'm what published leader of the year. Like, am I the first person of color that is the published leader of the year in the country? How many news anchors are people of color? All of these questions are um, tied up in in trying to get to the outcome that some of the debate is 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 centering around around diversity but isn't necessarily through like whether google or facebook um you know should change their practices um you know it as as you identified in your article and you may have been quoting someone i think it was one of the senators conducting the inquiry the government spends huge amounts with these um um publishers and you know we, we time out i'm sure you guys like we've We've missed out on the government purse um, for nearly a decade, as as they've you know as their spenders has been shifting into these channels, and so I I think that there's um, a totality of the argument will hopefully lead to a a compromise position I think, and you know for us like we um you, you know Google in particular is an important part of um, the Time Out business because its mission is so aligned to what we try and do. Our job is to get you off our website as quickly as possible out doing something that's fun. Stop reading us, go do something that's fun. And in our experience at least, and, you know, uh, the algorithm, it's part of the thing, right? Like every publisher has to keep learning and testing and whatever else and should they disclose it, should they not? Like I I, I think if you understand the mission-based approach of um, at least what Google publicly state, which is they're trying to help you get to the information that you want. That's what we've done with Time Out predominantly. I keep, I, our Google strategy has been a, a pillar of our business, particularly because that long tail of search engine um, um, optimization that pays back in, in restaurant reviews and bar reviews and all that kind of good stuff that you know um, our consumers come to is because they trust the Google search outcome and the Time Out review that it plugs into. So, I, like, it would be um, we would we would take a 
um, significant hit if um you know uh, if 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 Google was to leave Facebook, um it would be a hit as well. But I I don't think personally I don't think this isn't sorry this is my own opinion by the way not that of Time Out Group. But I don't think it would be as bigger. They're both big problems by the way. But <laughs> the Google one, would, and I'd probably go well great let's go back into print. Let's go back into print, and we only do that permanently. But it would be a, a, a as authoritative, definitive position as currently Google Search could give you, reaching through or to a timeout review. So that's sort of my, my um, don't know if I quite answered the question um, or not, but uh, that's my sort of um, Switzerland-like answer on <laughs> your question. But but thank you for it. Sounds like we'll both be keeping a very close eye on things. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's it for this week. For those of you in the PR communications sector, remember to get involved in the Mumbrella ComsCon Awards, which this year will return as a gala dinner celebration. Enjoy the week. See you next time. And thanks, Liv and Xander, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.